Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Adrian in Oneonta. <laughs> nice. Oneonta, New York, that is. Oneonta, New York. Yes, it's not a standalone city, you know, by AP standards, right? You know, so it's yeah. not... <laughs> I, I guess... feel it should be. <laughs> by that by that standard, then I guess I should say this is Sarah in Portland, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> so Adrian is Adrian Martini, who is a columnist on our site. If you, I hope everyone listening is familiar with your witty writings and your honesty about training for your first half marathon, which was last year, and now you've moved on and done several of them, and. And so you are joining us today instead of Dimity, and, and we'll get into why that is in a couple minutes. But um, how was your holiday, Adrian? Oh, the holiday was great. We're still working out from under all of the leftovers um, <laughs> because I'm not very good at figuring out exactly how much food people can eat. Oh, yeah. Um, but the holiday is about bounty. So, you know, <laughs> if it means we eat sweet potato casserole for a week and a half, then so be it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so how was yours? It was it was very good. I went to the home of my um, my best friend from eighth grade lives here in Portland, Oregon, about um, 14 blocks from us. And our older my older daughter and her only daughter are best friends. And so they had. Oh, wow. a, yeah. Yeah. It worked out really nicely. So um, that they live here and that our girls are such great friends. And so we went over there and they had two turkeys. They had I don't know. Let's see. There's let's see. Four five two and um, four. I don't know. What does that number equal? That, oh, that, I don't know. I, I stopped th- listening. I'm sorry. I heard four, five, two, and then I wandered off. Yeah, so there, there were that many of them. So they had two turkeys. They um, deep fried one of them um, well away and from the house. And I was yeah. about to say, and you practice safe frying. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, when I found that, I'm like, oh, how far away is the, is the you know, oil <laughs> drum from the house? Oh my gosh. Um, so, and yeah, cause a fire truck actually went by the, their house oh. during dinner and I was like, Oh, thank goodness. That's not us. Um, so, but yeah, I, so I asked the husband was the one, Scott, I asked him how, you know, like what steps did you take? And he said that he had, um, used a blow dryer on the Turkey because I guess wow. that's part of the problem is when there's any moisture on I- it. So yeah. So the blow dryer, you know, and I'm like, Mm, do I want to use that blow? Do I ever want to borrow that blow dryer from you? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I'll air dry. Thanks. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, yeah. So, but then we did not have any leftovers then, and so um, Jack was really hankering for some leftovers. So um, we we're recording this on Monday, and so last night Sunday he um, fixed up a turkey and mashed potatoes, yeah. <laughs> and um, we had brought he had brought um, two types of cranberry sauce over to Stacy and Scott's house and so um they uh we brought those back and so we had those and I like canned um cranberry sauce that's one of my kids yeah <laughs> um and uh so we so we had three and then we had kind of you know like the taste test and um which ones the kids like best and they <laughs> the twins both made faces when they tasted the one that um Jack makes that's in the style of his dad which has a lot of kind of orange zest and mm. and this type of stuff and they both go oh too orangey mm. uh, that's the perfect kind. We had um, three kinds of stuffing. Oh, look at you. Yeah, because uh, I make one that is kind of your more cornbread southern stuffing. Mm-hmm. My husband is a big fan of the mushroom and sausage 
and kind of white bread stuffing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am anti-mushroom, so he's on his own on that one. I am <laughs> um, against fungus. I don't. I don't think you should eat it. Um, but that husband of yours, he's a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I set that one up nicely. Yeah, I know. Teed it right off. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Good thing you saw the sponge there. Good job. Um, and or you saw the set. Uh, and my daughter is has celiac disease, so we also then had a gluten free stuffing. Oh, so I did. Many I did bring a um, gluten free vegetarian option to dinner that I was very proud of a um, wild rice um, and pecan, um, kind of just you know mixed together type. Put it. I don't even know what you wild rice with pecans and parsley. <laughs> <laughs> There's no name for it. That's what it is. And, yeah. um, so, um, which reminds me, I have to. I can eat leftovers of that for lunch. I do love it. Um, so uh, yeah, and I cooked it in wild rice. I find when you cook it in water, basically it tastes like nothing. So yeah. usually I cook it in uh, simmer it in chicken broth. But I was like, oh no, maybe that. I know um, Stacy's oldest son is a our son is a vegetarian. So I'm like, oh, I'll cook in vegetable broth. So um, he ate that, and Jack had brought over a whole bunch of smoked fish. Um, because we had been out the coast the weekend before, and so he got some at a place out there. And then our one of our neighbors has a smoker, and um, so we with that neighbor we like share a lawnmower and share a leaf blower. Right. And so I know we have a neighbor like that too. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so it's not just us because we live in super close proximity to people out here and have you know y- yards the size of postage stamps. Um, so he has a smoker. So Jack just has decided, well, it's it's our smoker. We share the smoker too. Right. <laughs> um, My husband actually two years ago, three years ago, decided to smoke our turkey. Oh. Um, which sounds uh, amusing. Um, <laughs> and it gets too cold here oh. to actually really smoke something in November. Oh. So he really couldn't get the smoker up to temperature. Wow. Uh, so we had to finish it off in the oven just so that nobody, you yeah. know, died. Died at the potame. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but because I would, I would actually think that's kind of, t- I mean, like, you know, a turkey's a whole lot bigger than a piece of, say, trout or yes. salmon. <laughs> um, yes. I'm sure it can be done. Yeah. Uh, just wow. maybe in August. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, and speaking of temperatures, you had a cold run today, didn't you? Oh, my gosh. I got up this morning, um, looked at the temperature, and it was 19 degrees. Mm-hmm. And I lay there for a while and tried to, you know, come up with any reason not to have to go outside uh, and really couldn't come up with any good ones. I came up with a lot of really not good ones. Um, <laughs> but then I put on my Saucony, um, oh, Siberius pants. Oh, well-named, aptly named. Well-named, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, which usually I had worn them right when it started to get around freezing, and it, they were absolutely perfect. And they're still very, very good, but they did not keep my butt nearly warm enough by the end of the run. Uh, and I got home. I think it took another two, three hours for me to actually have feeling in all of the parts of my bottom uh, <laughs> once again. Were you doing inspection? Were you, you know, touching your yes, butt I a was. whole lot? <laughs> no, I was going to people in my office and saying, hey, touch my butt. Touch my butt. Are you touching yet? I can't tell. Are you touching it's, yet? <laughs> I can't tell if you're touching. Maybe pinch it. <laughs> my gosh. Oh, my you know, gosh. Wow. So in their full length tights, are they? They are full-length tights, and they're lined with kind of a fleecy something. Um, wow. But it, they don't feel like a hothouse, like uh-huh. some of the fleece stuff does. Uh-huh. So they breathe. They're warm, um, but I should have put a pair of tights on under. I know this now. Are so. you Oh, my, I cannot believe that you would layer up that much. I would just... 
be laying by the side of the road by about mile one panting because I'd be sweating so much. Oh, see, yeah, apparently I, yeah, I'm a delicate flower. It, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's also really cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, 19 degrees is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but, I think if I put like some bullet capris or something under them, that hmm. would have been just enough to keep kind of my quads and my tush a little warmer. Okay, so let's talk about what else you wore because okay, it turns out that see, I don't look at the temperature before I go out because I don't know, knowing it somehow makes it more real. Right. So, um I I go also live in Portland <laughs> yeah. where um we've, we've been having a cold snap. We've been having a very it's been very clear and um like days and days of sun. So the 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 warmth doesn't get trapped and it all right. you know flies skyward and at nighttime and um so I mean it turns out that it was 29 degrees when I went running. Our producer Alex told me that before the start of the show. Right. Whereas I thought it was I don't know, I guess I thought it was 34 or something because it didn't seem freezing, literally freezing. So I wore bullet capris and a wool long sleeve shirt and a um, nice Saucony vest from last season. Or, yeah, I guess last winter. So it's not on the site anymore, unfortunately. Right. And a baseball hat and um, Saucony Ultimates, which are like um, gloves that then have a little hood that Flappy makes them. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, that's it. Yeah. See, I, um, the, the thing around here is if you don't pay attention to the temperature and just kind of walk outside and whatever, there are days where you could legitimately um, die. So <laughs> so suck it, actually... Sarah, because we have real problems here. <laughs> I'm not saying that Portland doesn't have things that could kill you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm saying you have to pay attention here. Uh, so, you know, I always want to know before I go out if I need um, like spikes on my shoes or something before I find myself kind of five minutes in and going, gosh, I really wish I'd grabbed mm. X and have to run back to the house to get it. Mm-hmm. But I also have a tendency to do a slow strip as mm-hmm. I warm up. Which is why I'm the talk of the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's why you're so popular, Adrian. Uh, I talk about my butt and I take my clothes off. So there you go. You ask people um, to touch your butt and you take your clothes off. <laughs> no, but I do it out and back. In my neighborhood, uh, you know, I live in a smaller town and the odds of somebody stealing my sweaty, you know, fleece jacket are pretty. Oh, so you leave it by the side of the, like, stash somewhere? Oh, yeah. Not even stashed. I'll just, you know, put it by somebody's mailbox or something. And it's when I come back. (laughs) Not a big deal. Oh, that is so crazy. I've actually thought about doing that. I'm like, oh, no, here in Portland, it would get taken. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it in a major metropolitan area if Uh I wanted to see the jacket again. But. You know, here there maybe a deer will take it. That's about <laughs> start it's chewing gonna... on it because it's nice and salty from your sweat. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or like a turkey will nest in it or something. <laughs> uh, it all goes back to turkey at this time of year, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Yeah, or an undergrad. You know, because it's a college town, there might be an undergrad who. Oh yeah, maybe a drunk. Uh, you know, they throw up on it or something. Yeah, maybe. Right, because it's still nighttime for them. It's morning it for you. <laughs> It's, yeah, they're just kind of wandering their way home at that point. So We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to introduce our guest that we are having on the show today. So, Adrian, one of the reasons that we're having you co-host today is because we're talking about sports acupuncture. And you mentioned to us that you had done it, had it done. 
And so remind me why it is that you have had sports acupuncture? Well, it kind of started because um, a friend of mine who was a massage therapist started studying acupuncture. Um, and I was just starting to really run more and more and more miles for the Pittsburgh Half Marathon. And I kind of wanted to get a jump on any of the injuries that could crop up because I have a tendency to get shin splints. Mm. Um, so I kind of started going to her just as a preventative measure And through the process, kind of discovered that my right shoulder, which has always kind of been a shoulder that doesn't like to move, Mm -hmm. uh, after so many years of sitting at desks and having really poor posture, um, she's able to kind of help me keep that free and clear and have, you know, the range of motion that it's nice to have in a shoulder. Um, So I kind of, I go to her every four weeks now just to kind of try and keep everything on track and functional nice nice so that's so proactive of you i love that yes i can schedule really well i'm good at scheduling oh good (laughs) good good well because i started seeing an acupuncturist for a totally different reason I, i was a runner at the time but i was uh it was to deal with secondary infertility and so we'd had phoebe around for about a year and a half and we decided we wanted you know, at least one other baby to join our family and it just wasn't happening. And so I'm proactive, I think in other spheres of my life, not so right. much with, the, <laughs> with in the baby sphere. Yes. Yes. Um, so now what are you saying about me there, Adrian? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I had been uh, you know, writing like for fit pregnancy and a couple other magazines and knew that acupuncture could be effective uh, with treating infertility. So saw, a woman who dealt with kind of um, gynecological and women's health issues. And I just really, I just loved the serenity and the peacefulness that I felt when I went there. And it felt so good to be, um, felt like I was really doing something. I mean, uh, you know, having dealt with infertility, you see so many different practitioners and doctors and you feel just like, it's just, you're on kind of like this mill almost. And it was so nice to have someone who really would talk to me and you know, like, I don't know, just looking at my tongue and taking my pulse and all this stuff, you know, it's like, oh, you're really listening to me. It's so wonderful. And so, I mean, she was there, um, you know, the day of the embryo transfer. I mean, she was in the kind of waiting room before we went into the, um, to the surgical procedure. And, and so she did, you know, she used needles on me before I went into the room. And then after the transfer, when I was kind of hanging out for a while, she did needles on me. And, you know, uh, we got twins out of it. So, right. so I'd say she was pretty effective. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So then, um, so then when I had, um, plantar fasciitis in two, in 2011, I went and saw someone and I mean, I just had immediate relief. It wasn't like it just disappeared, but literally one treatment made lessen the pain I felt. And so I saw someone several times and, and I was just like, oh, this is so awesome. So when people write on our Facebook page or something, or we meet them at an expo and they're like, oh, I have plantar fasciitis. I'm like, see an acupuncturist. Right. So then oh, what's that? I was about to say there seems to usually be resistance though to mm. an acupuncturist, acupuncturist if a person hasn't already seen them, because they're kind of like, well, what good can that 
actually do. Right, right. Um, yeah, so that was, I, one, that was one of the reasons we wanted to have this show was, you know, you and I, I felt like we really bonded when we talked about how much we right. loved acupuncture. And so it's like, oh, we need to spread the word about that. Right, so, and I was a total skeptic going in, too. Uh-huh. I was like, how can this possibly do anything? Um, <laughs> and now I'm a convert. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are here to proselytize the power, <laughs> the power of acupuncture. So uh, we're actually joined here in studio by Eric Isaacman, who is the acupuncturist I saw when I uh, suffered from my um, multiple fractures in my ankle this spring. And so um, Eric is a Portland dad of two school-age girls, and um, he is co-founder of Innergate Acupuncture in Southeast Portland. And um, like I said, he's the doctor I saw when I um, went to go get stuck with needles for my ankle. And uh, Eric studied acupuncture both in Oregon and China. So welcome, Eric. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, so Eric, tell us about your first experience with acupuncture because, as I understand it, it was right before you went on a really long cycling trip. Yeah. So uh, I was living in China, um, teaching after college, and um, was preparing for a month-long trip through southwestern China, and was having some knee pain um, as part of my training. Uh, I had had my knee surgically repaired a few years earlier, and it turns out I had not properly rehabbed it. And so the pain was um, a result of that. And I was brought first to a massage therapist who didn't think he could help me. Um, And so he introduced me to an acupuncturist. And because of the way things work in China and relationships driving so much of what happens, I ended up getting acupuncture three days a week for about four or five months before going on my trip. And all I could do was really just sort of invite the doctor out for drinks or dinner. He wouldn't take any money. Um, <laughs> we need more doctors like that. Yes, right. Really? Uh, that might yeah. bring down medical costs a yeah, little right, bit here. Right. We should recommend that to Obama and have them <laughs> in the next healthcare bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, drink-based healthcare system. Yeah. There you go. Uh, interestingly, Adrian, you know, my first experience uh, um, was actually a few years earlier when I was over there in China as a college student. Actually, when I blew out my ACL, and I recently mm-hmm. found a journal that I had kept. And I too was a skeptic. I was brought there. No one knew the damage, the extent of the damage in my knee. When I was there getting acupuncture, this woman was trying to help an old guy grow his balding hair back. So she (laughs) shoved all these needles in his head and then said, now the secret to make this work is to go out and find love. And I mean, my journal entry from that day was dripping with skepticism. So, and now, you know, 20 years later, it's what I do. So there and you that go. man has a lush head oh of my hair, God. I'm sure. I think, I think he looks like Yanni or something. <laughs> <laughs> many loves, many a true acupuncturist example that sounds like he looks like Yanni. <laughs> oh, I'm reinforcing those stereotypes. Sorry. ACDC. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my first experience. And, um, and I was intrigued. I'd studied, uh, well, that was my second experience was getting the work done before my trip. And, you know, I'd, I'd studied Chinese language and history and culture. Um, I'd lived overseas and um, I was an English teacher at the time looking to do something else. And so I was really excited by this, not really thinking I wanted to be a clinician, but really just discovering a whole nother facet of Chinese culture I'd yet to be exposed to. And so that's what really got me um, excited about it initially. So... So we sort of alluded to it, but definitely I think when people uh, hear the word acupuncture, you know, they start to smell a little patchouli, hear the chimes, yeah. you know, hear the Yanni, yeah. the Enya, yeah. that sort of thing. Sure. <laughs> so, so can you sort of peel away some of that hippie counterculture yeah. vibe? Yeah. I mean, my, my understanding, you know, is that Chinese have been practicing acupuncture since they've been in the United States. 
you know, so in Chinatowns. And just in the in the 60s and early 70s, they started to get, um, it started, the medicine started to move into the mainstream. Nixon went to China, and there's a story that one of the reporters had appendicitis, oh. and they did acupuncture on him to, as an analgesic to deal with the pain right. before getting the surgery. And that was written up in the New York Times. So that kind of threw it into mainstream culture. Hmm. And within 10 years, school started popping up. But most of the people being drawn to it at the time, and even now today, were looking for something alternative. Um, they were coming from a background of maybe yoga, meditation, organic farming, these sorts of things. So they definitely brought those counterculture values and lifestyles with them when they started opening up their practices. And so I think that's why the stereotype is that we all have long hair and we're vegetarians and we wear white robes. Right. <laughs> um, one of the things about the clinic I run is that we definitely wanted to be accessible to people. Um, we work with people's health insurance. Um, we take workers comp, you know, so we realize that it's not just going to be the, the Southeast Portland hipster that comes in. It's going to be right. the guy who hurt his back in a, in a factory and he needs to feel comfortable and it, and, and it needs to be accessible. And so we look like just normal people. If you could see me right now, I do have a beard because it's Portland and it's winter, but other than that, I look like just a normal guy. So I'm, Cause you, um, so you had a story about patchouli. You said that. Yes, just earlier today, a patient wore some patchouli, and we were all aghast and <laughs> suffocating. Um, so you have a sign in the restroom there that says, you know, please don't wear fragrance. Yes. And, you know, yes. which is kind of a, just a Portland thing to, you know, be sensitive to that. Yeah. Well, and you know, we have a couple of patients who definitely have sensitivities where they get migraines or headaches and stuff. So we try to manage the sense in the clinic for sure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so there's there's no incense burning, no patchouli wearing. Not not unless the patchouli we try to avoid the incense only with if someone's come by with patchouli uh -huh. um, but <laughs> but you know we are still the anomaly um uh -huh. the bulk of my classmates and my colleagues in this town certainly lead that alternative lifestyle and so um for better or for worse it uh -huh. is it is it is a common stereotype that is grounded in some reality I would yeah say. and you do give choice of music you know that, that we do <laughs> and if you want Enya we yeah. have it um we also try to have some more contemporary stuff but generally we play music in the treatment room you guys were talking about how relaxing it is mm -hmm. um and, it, and we're in a clinical setting so we want to be able to drown out people talking in other rooms we want to be able to drown out the phone and, the and stuff like that we want to drown out the there's no screaming um <laughs> except for joy when you realize how good your plantar fasciitis right. feels right right yes. so. <laughs> uh, so most people know that acupuncture involves needles yeah um, but it's pretty vague beyond that if yeah. you've not had it so can you kind of describe the aim of acupuncture um, and how you get there uh describe the aim and how we how, you how, get, you get how we get there. Sure. You know, the, the thing I find so surprising, again, living in Portland, like 90% of us have tattoos. And so these patients come in with tons of tattoos and they're terrified of the prospect of getting acupuncture, <laughs> um, which is just completely odd to me. Um, most people's association with needles are hypodermic needles, right? These big, thick, hollow needles that either administer a shot or draw blood. And ours are very thin. They're solid. You know, they're as thin as a nail. I mean, I'm sorry, as thin as a hair. Sorry, that was. A Let's, we really need to really need to clarify that. Yeah, they're they're not as they're as thin as a hair. Um, they're you know you can flick them and they bend, um, and they're they are inserted in the in the body um, in specific acupuncture points, and 
you know, with nanotechnology, they're starting to put little microscopes underneath the skin and they're seeing that fascia's relaxing and allowing muscles to relax, allowing blood flow to increase to the side of the, of the acupuncture point. Um, so it, it, it's a really interesting time to be an acupuncturist as we start to sort of combine this Eastern philosophy of medicine with this Western knowledge of physiology. Hmm. I mean, that really drives what we're doing in sports medicine, acupuncture. But, you know, the, the needles are thin. They go very superficially into the muscle. Sometimes there's sort of a gentle ache or a soreness, like someone's giving you a massage, but there should never be a sharpness. There should never be that biting sensation, like when they draw blood or give a shot. Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the other things that are that are used in acupuncture? So like the moxibustion or the yeah. herbs? Yeah. Or... So in Chinese, the word for acupuncture is zhenzhou. Zhen means needle and zhou means moxibustion. And so there's this idea that besides sticking a needle into a point in the body with the and the purpose there is to sort of help to promote blood circulation and to regulate what's called qi in blood, um, get that to flow. They also use moxa, which is mugwort. And it's the it's this plant that they take and they dry and they roll it up like a big cigar and they hold it above the skin. And in fact, it can also be applied topically on a salve. And the idea is that by warming up the area and the acupuncture point, you're again stimulating blood flow to the area. You're helping relax the musculature. And that helps to sort of realign the whole physiological system and the musculoskeletal system around that side of the injury. So that's a second modality, the moxa. Um, cupping is something that I think Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. brought into mainstream mm-hmm. culture yes. at one of the one of the red red carpet events where she wore a backless dress and had these what uh, hickey marks or right. octopus <laughs> suction marks and while as an acupuncturist we were aghast because you're supposed to cover your cupping marks so that right. wind doesn't evade and make you sick as people in counterculture medicine we were jumping up and down because it got the mainstream press to talk about it um, but that's used over big muscle bodies, again, to help increase blood flow in the area. It's also used over the lungs to help with respiratory problems. So if you have exercise-induced asthma, you might get cupping over the upper back. Um, I have to say cupping is my all-time favorite. You like I it, really, huh? Oh, I love cupping. Yeah. I, it's, it's either hit <laughs> it or really, miss. <laughs> which sounds naughty, but I really, <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. When I, when I approach patients and suggest that might be a modality, I ask if they've had it, because there are some people who feel very passionately against it um, right. for whatever reason. Maybe it's the marking. I mean, it does leave sort of a circular kind of mark on you. It looks kind of like a hickey. Yeah, it um, looks like you've been attacked by a giant octopus. Right, right. That's the yeah. other sort of <laughs> reference people make. Um, right. but, but boy, it feels good. I mean, there are times when I'll have pulled something swimming, and I'll be at work, and I don't have time to get a treatment, and I'll just have one of my employees put a cup on just one of those muscles and sit for 10 minutes and they take it off and it's like you know 50 percent of the tension is gone right then and there so it's it's a pretty remarkable remarkable technique so we use that then we use something called gua sha Um, pts use something called graston it's the same idea you're sort of scraping across um, these fascial planes that become adhered around injuries um, opening that up and boy patients get a tremendous relief you know they'll often stand up and range of motion will be 30 40 percent better blood flow it'll be warm so that also does leave a little discoloration on the skin but that's also a really nice modality and then lastly in our clinic we almost always incorporate some sort of body work into the mm-hmm. treatment if the patient feels up to it some patients don't like it sometimes the injury is too acute 
So working around the area would be too much, but if they're open to it, um, we definitely lay our hands on and do some massage and that really feels like it's appreciated and helpful. So until you mentioned it, I had forgotten that um, I also have had experience with moxibustion and that um, when I was the when I was pregnant with the twins, one of them was breech. breech yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, twin A for all the twin moms out there. So the mm-hmm. one who was closer to the door, let's say mm-hmm. uh, it was John and he was um, just firmly planted head up. And so um, since I knew my practitioner pretty well, she, you know like trusted me to teach me yeah. to, to do it and, right. and let me do it because typically they would not let someone who had twins, a twin pregnancy do it. Oh, interesting. Because, With the idea you know, that kinda, one would rotate and one. Yeah. Or there's yeah. just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cords and things to yeah. get all like <laughs> crazy together. And so, um, so yeah. So um, the, like you said, they kind of look like cigar or like, yeah. uh, like they look kind of like bundles of sage or something yeah. like that to and, me. And mugwort is a type mm-hmm. of sage and it felt oh. smells very sage like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what most people know it for is for turning breached babies. Yeah. So, so I had it done professionally right. and then Jack was there um, watching the practitioner do it. And so then, uh, you know, we'd do it every morning uh in our bathroom because it had a fan yeah, and so because otherwise it's like oh mom and dad there is kind of a smoky smell pot. yeah, yeah. yeah and some people think it smells like weed absolutely <laughs> so um and then i would have to um lay on a inclined um ironing board that was propped up on like a footrest with my head down toward the mm. floor and oh that was just really delightful to Not be like bad. eight months pregnant you know <laughs> in that position and um and so my um gynecologist said oh when you feel something has shifted just stop doing the moxie and then just, or moxa, and then, you know, come in and we'll do a little ultrasound. So one morning I woke up, I'm like, something's definitely shifted. And I'm like, sweet, yeah. it worked. So I go in, oh no, twin B, who had been head down, rotating. was now <laughs> breached. Right. And so did something. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh man. So that's when we scheduled a C section. Yeah. But then she ended up flipping back over all by oh, herself. But um so it did work. Yeah. It just didn't work on the, the right, right twin. W- yeah, yeah. <laughs> most most of the time there's only one in there. And yeah. The other thing I- is kind of week thirty four to thirty six is your window. Mm-hmm. Before week thirty four they're too little and they may move again. And after week thirty six they're off in uh too They're snugly too tucked in yeah. there yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i guess i mean sometimes it happens you you can speak to this i guess it happens right in the practitioner's yeah. office yeah we often get referrals from local clinicians here in town just for this procedure and we've had it happen where they've moved in one treatment sometimes a couple mm-hmm. and if it seems stubborn like your husband will will teach the partner how to do it if they feel comfortable trying mm-hmm. oh so, he loved doing it yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i mean you know as a father anytime you can do anything that's helpful Oh, oh no! He, I think he was just kind of fascinated. Oh, like, what I get like something fire. burning and oh, like, yeah. Cool. Well, as a father, we fire, do like fire, fire, fire too. Yes. <laughs> that actually brings up an interesting point. So, how does sports acupuncture differ from, you know, pregnancy gynecological? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, um, we're certified in a program um, called SMAC, and Sports Medicine Acupuncture Certification Program. It was a year-long program probably um, about as intense as getting a PhD in acupuncture. So every acupuncturist in America will have at least a master's and then they do have PhD programs. Um, We basically started at the head and went down to the feet over four modules. Each module was uh, two weeks of training and we just got really deep into the anatomy. We worked on cadavers, um, which was fascinating. In, in acupuncture school, you generally don't have access to cadavers. And so you're learning about the anatomy in one dimension as opposed to three. Um, 
So getting that deep understanding of the physiology and the anatomy, and then we spend a tremendous amount of time talking about orthopedic exams. So if someone comes in and I'm their first point of reference, I'm going to have the skill set to really differentiate, you know, this medial knee pain. This could be right. a, a, a medial collateral ligament strain. It could be your meniscus torn. It could be the ACL. Really being able to understand that and recognizing what I can and can't do and when I need to refer you out. Um, and then really advanced acupuncture techniques. So while traditionally you learn about acupuncture points where you insert the needles, midway through school, you learn about these points called Osher points. And they're just kind of sore points. And they may be an acupuncture point and they may not. And so you realize that there's some flexibility around where you insert the needles. Well, in this class, we spoke very specifically around the anatomy saying, okay, for instance, if it's a medial meniscus tear, let's get the knee bent in a certain position and turn the foot in a certain way. So now the meniscus is accessible. Let's get a needle in there and really needle the tissue. Again, trying to increase blood flow to the area. That was something that we never had access to in, 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 our, in our foundation training. So, you know, advanced um, needling techniques, advanced diagnostic skills um, is really at the heart of it. Um, f- you know, if someone's a, uh, a fertility doctor, fertility acupuncturist, chances are they've done some CEUs, um, some continuing education units after graduate school because they were interested in it. Um, but I don't know if there's anything as extensive as that beyond getting a doctorate where that's the okay. focus. Um, so in that way, we're, we're a little more specifically trained in the sports medicine arena as opposed to just having this general acupuncture practice. So one thing hearing you talk about where placing the needles, that that's interesting to me also, though, that let's say I go in with a foot problem, you know, I, with the plantar fasciitis, let's take that yeah. as an example, you know, that I got needles in my in hand. hand. Yeah. Right. So, so talk a little bit about that. So, you know. The important thing stressed to us when we were doing our training is that while we're learning all these skills that are very similar to maybe what an orthopedist would use and certainly what a physical therapist would use, we're still acupuncturists. So don't abandon what you're trained in. Just add this extra layer. So, for instance, the, the, the point on the hand um, has a, the channel that courses across the hand. Maybe the one you're talking about there is a large intestine channel, and it has a very intimate relationship with a channel across the foot called the stomach channel. So a lot of times you're going to move energy through different places on the body as opposed to just focusing at the site of the foot. Another thing that could have been going on, I wasn't your clinician for the plantar fasciitis, was, you know, maybe there was that that point at the hand, for instance, that you're referencing that can address headaches, that can address digestion issues. So a lot of times what we do besides looking at the injury is trying to understand you constitutionally. And saying, wow, you know what? There's some digestion problems. She's, she feels like she's a little tired. She's got two young kids. Her foot's hurting. I'm certainly going to work on the foot. But if I can do some things to support her digestion, her body's going to have more resources to allocate towards the healing process. Hmm. So you choose points away from the site for that reason as well. So sometimes you're sort of superimposing the ankle onto the wrist or the elbow onto the knee. Hmm. Other times you're, you're trying to teach things, uh, treat things that have nothing to do with the injury but that are required for the whole body to be as optimal as possible so it can heal. Hmm. Yeah. We like both. I can tell that both Adrian and I are like, huh, that's really yeah. good thinking there, Eric. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and in that way, you know, we're a little more holistic. Um, one of the nice things about our practice, not my clinic, but my profession, is that we zoom into the injury and then we zoom out to the patient. Right. And I know that at times... You know, earlier you referenced Sarah feeling like you were happy to be heard. She took your pulse. She, mm-hmm. she looked at your tongue. 
And I certainly have patients report on a regular basis that they're really impressed at the fact that we, we are curious about their whole health as opposed to just what brings them in. And, you just know, the part. Yeah. yeah, allopathic medicine is incredible. And the things they could do, you know, getting two babies in your belly to come out and fixing my knee are because of that reductionist um, philosophy. But sometimes they reduce so far to the cellular level that they forget to zoom back out. And I think right. that's one of the things that's different between Western medicine and Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. I do have to, that's one thing that I love about um, the woman that I see, who's also a mother runner, uh, which helps a lot too is that sometimes she just will look at you and say, sometimes you just need an antibiotic, mm, you know? Sometimes yes. you just need to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. So don't throw away one system for the other. They can complement each other really well. Oh, absolutely. We're big proponents of having good doctors, good PTs, good massage therapists, good chiropractors. We we have such an array of clinicians here in Portland. And so our goal is is to have that resource and that referral network, just making sure that they're you know, good bedside manner. Our patients have come to expect a certain level of care. So our goal is just to find those clinicians that have the same values. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when I was seeing you then, so I started seeing you when I still had the cast on the foot, so I wasn't doing PT. And then when I started doing PT, you want to know who I saw, you know, we're like, okay, I'll talk to them so that you, you know, I got the sense that there was some sort of concert going on. Yeah, there was definitely collaboration happening. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the goal is to get you running and hopefully you're still going to be running in Boston next year. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got in. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I haven't seen you since then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got training should start in about a month. Oh, good. Three, four weeks. Yeah. Good. But, but yes, there's definitely that recognition that, that Western medicine has a tremendous amount to offer. And um, we're happy to sort of be supportive when you need to go that route, too. And then, you know, check in with us if there's any sort of collateral damage or unintended sequelas that come from that that route as well. So do you think that there are any particular running ailments and injuries that respond really well to acupuncture? Um, Shin splints, for sure. Um, They respond very well. Um, Plantar fasciitis is really helpful, mainly because, you know, that the Western medical approach is to put you in a boot and just rest. Right. Um, and that that has other unintended consequences where maybe you start to get some adhesions, you've decreased blood flow. Certainly as a hardcore athlete, you're going to be antsy and miserable. <laughs> um, runner's knee um, is a very vague um, diagnosis, but I'm sure every runner out there has experienced it at one time or another. That often is due to an imbalance in the glutes. Um, in a, an overly tight IT band because the glutes can't stabilize the hip and then the IT band gets stretched. So understanding that can be really helpful because the knee, and I can speak to this um, as a clinician prior to doing the sports medicine program, the knee is this very bony structure. And you kind of look at it and you're like, well, where do I put my needles? There's not a lot I can really <laughs> affect. And then you start to realize, well, wait, there's you know the quads and the adductors on the inside of the thigh, the IT band, the glutes. And once you understand that, then you can... It's like, all right, knees. I love knees. You know, you have a much, you have a much that broader Eric, he's a knee man. I am. Don't tell my wife. I promised her I wouldn't be when I married her. But uh, <laughs> um, so runner's knee is something that plagues people, and they're kind of like, well, I'm I'm rolling out my IT band. What else should I do? And sometimes it's like you need to strengthen your glutes, or you need to roll out your adductors. And so that is another big runner's ailment that I I found responds really well to treatment. And what, how long is a typical course of action? I realize no, every patient's different. But. Yeah. You know, if something's acute, you know, if, if, if something's acute in that either it's come on as because you recently increased mileage or it's come on because you recently have started something new. 
that's usually we, we try to see people twice a week and we say, you know, two to three weeks and you should be doing a lot better. If something's been around for a while and you've been stubborn or you've had to finish that race before addressing it, more chronic, that could, we could be looking at a few months of treatment. The caveat to that is how stubborn is the athlete? We love working with athletes, but what drives an athlete is what drives them. So when you tell them to not do it for a little while, they're gonna, they're, there's often a lot of pushback. And that can impact their recovery. That can slow it down because you get one step forward, two steps back. So we just try to have that candid conversation. And as people say, I can't not run, okay, well, then this may take a little bit longer just so you appreciate it. It's not that the acupuncture isn't working per se, mm. but it's that as soon as you feel better, you go out and you re-aggravate it. Mm. Um, it's that you're not helping. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, like you said, you were a little skeptical when you first tried it. Right. Obviously, my goal as a clinician is to show some improvement so that then... I'm going to be looked at as an expert. And when I say don't run for two weeks, I'm going to be taken seriously as opposed to, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, (laughs) I have to qualify for that, that race or something. Um, So there are, there are a lot of factors, but yeah, generally acute tends to respond pretty quickly in a few weeks in chronic because there's muscle memory around this pathology because there's adhesions that can take a little longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then how do you recommend folks find a talented, trusted acupuncturist? Um, I would definitely ask friends. That's, you know, word of mouth is definitely our number one referral source. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the program that we're trained in is SMAC, um, S-M-A-C, Sports Medicine Acupuncture Certification. Um, if you Google that, smac.com, you'll pull up a man named Matt Callison who, who put the program together. And he's got a resource on his website where you can type in your zip code and find a SMAC certified clinician. Oh, good. Oh, okay, so we'll put a link to that. Yeah, that, yeah, put a post. link to that. Um, I'm on a Facebook chat group, so if anyone ever reaches out who's not in our community, we then go online and say, hey, who knows someone in Tempe, Arizona, or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But one of the things about acupuncture, because we're alternative, we have to hold a space where we are sort of aware that we're in the service industry, so we have to have good customer service. So a lot of acupuncturists will make themselves available to talk to patients before they come in. So if they don't, that's a red flag. Um, And if they do, you can ask them, you know, what's their experience treating something like this? You know, what's a standard course of care? You know, what will you be doing besides just acupuncture and getting a feedback, getting a sense of if they know what they're talking about or if they're just a generalist? Because mm-hmm. I also feel that that level of trust and kind of connection, maybe for lack of a better term, is important because, you know, like you were saying that you want people to view you as an expert right. and that sense of like, oh, they understand me, they get me, they, right. they've they seen other people like me, you know, they know how to deal with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, word of mouth tends to really drive that home. You know, when someone's had a positive experience and they really can endorse someone, I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So anything you think we've missed out on asking you about? Mm, you guys have been pretty thorough. Even br- <laughs> even brought my wife into this. <laughs> no, I think you've done great. Um, you know, I'm just happy to, to be here and to spread the word because it's still a pretty young profession, a young industry. And we recognize a lot of people are curious, mm-hmm. skeptical, nervous. So my hope is that this has just helped to sort of make, make it seem a little more accessible. Good, good. Well, thanks for joining us, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Well, I don't. Scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, joking
All righty. Well, let's head on over to the challenge corner, shall we, Adrian? That sounds great. Um, and it's even better because I know this mother runner. Uh, this comes from Molly, who lives in upstate New York, which is, she lives in Oswego, which is not to be confused with Owego uh, <laughs> or Oneonta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we or think Oneida. It, mm-hmm. Or Oneida, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And we think it kind of captures what some mother runners are feeling this week after Thanksgiving. Um, And I know Molly because we ran three quarters of the Empire State Marathon together a couple of years ago, half marathon together Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Um, And at three quarters of the way through, she was much faster than I was and gave her liberty to just take off and and be her own badass self. Nice. So here's what Molly shared with us. She said, my adult children went back to their work and college lives today, so my heart hurts just a little. I'd love to soothe myself with a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Instead, I went for my longest run since September. It was chilly but gorgeously sunny, and I'm back on an even keel. I'm certain I would have gone with the cookies option if it weren't for the support and positive vibes from this group. Enjoy your babies. They'll be grown up before you know it. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I I was just looking at my 13 year old baby and going, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? Oh, my gosh. I can't. My uh, kids next year, uh, Phoebe will be starting high school and the twins will be starting middle school. And I'm like, how did this happen? Yep. And I'm still 35. uh, (laughs) Exactly. Right. I'm actually almost 29 now. So. Oh my goodness. So, and the, the song that we chose for this is um, Runnin' Lose It All by Naughty Boy. And um, this song is at the end of our newest Rock My Run mix, which is called Chill Chaser. And um, I listened to it numerous times over the holiday weekend, and I just adore the chorus which Beyonce sings. So at our content website, anothermotherrunner.com, we have all sorts of holiday discount codes. Wanted to alert you to that fact. So to find them, click on Great Deals, which is on the top navigation bar, then select Holiday Discounts from the drop-down menu. One deal we'd like to direct your attention to is free shipping on all Strider bikes, those nifty balance bikes that teach your kids to ride a bike without clunky, bad habit-forming training wheels. In addition to you getting free shipping on the bike... Whenever the code is used, Strider Bikes donates $20 to Heartstrides, which is AMR's nonprofit partner that helps moms of kids with chronic illness or special needs keep moving. And Heartstrides is the beneficiary of our Stride Through the Holidays uh, challenge. For more holiday deals, head over to our store site, MotherRunnerStore.com, where we're offering great gift packs like our new AMR flag hoodie, which our producer Alex is wearing at this very moment. Um, you can get the flag hoodie plus a new Mother Runner sweaty band um, for $13 off. It's almost like getting the sweaty band for free. For this deal and gifts for the women runners in your life, head on over to MotherRunnerStore.com. So um, whatever temperature it is where you're running, many happy miles to you. Happy miles to you.